Welcome to Getting That Bread, a brand new podcast where I chat with a creator in the leftist YouTube scene, known as both LeftTube or BreadTube. On this show, I'm hoping to get into the minds of your favourite creators, asking them about their most important and interesting works, their histories of the platform, and what they've got coming up for us next. Stick around for my first interview with the wonderful Sarah Zed. My guest today is Sarah Zed, a video essayist who's made videos on such topics as the late-stage capitalism of fast-food Twitter, J.K. Rowling and authorial intent, and her most recent video on the weird world of Broadway bootlegs. She also appears in the weekly Dungeons & Dragons podcast, Trials and Trebuchets, as Mira, the energetic half-elf bard who's in almost every club at her magical school. And while this interview will cover all of those things, she's also a noted drag race superfan. So all I want to know right now is, Sarah, what did you think of the RuPaul finale? Oh my god, I am so happy about the outcome. I could not be happier. It was really, really excellent. It was great, right? Right? Yeah. Like, I'm so happy about Evie winning. I think it was absolutely the right call for RuPaul to make. Just 10 out of 10 all around. (laughs) I felt like this season was sort of like the most overproduced so far in terms of storylines and stuff. And so then for the queen to win who felt like the most authentic was, Mm -hmm. it felt right. Definitely, yeah. I think that's also true kind of like for the actual drag that they're showcasing because like I feel like maybe in the past four or five seasons I feel like the runway portion of the show has become less and less about showcasing creativity and more so just about showcasing the fact that like you're able to afford wealthy designers to design you expensive gowns, right? And I think that like Evie, someone who started out the season slightly unpolished but consistently delivered creative, well-made, like homemade looks really represents Mm -hmm. a shift away from that and I'm so delighted about that. Yeah, and that's why, like, her orange outfit was yes. so cool. It was just, it was so DIY and so of its time. Oh, and, like, totally. Talking about, you know, like, queens who can afford giant gowns. Like, I hate to do this to my own country person, but that was kind of the Courtney Act thing. Where it was yeah. just like, she had so much stuff and it was all amazing, but... Like, the wing look, you know, it was absolutely gorgeous, but... Yeah, it was incredible. But it doesn't necessarily showcase her own individual creativity. Yeah, yeah, but... Uh, Anyway, I love her. She's I still best. love Courtney though. She's wonderful. <laughs> and I love how yeah. successful she's become as like the queen right? of reality TV. Like over like, in she's Britain been on as well. It's... it's great. She was robbed in Dancing with the Stars, but like still mm-hmm. absolutely slaying it. <laughs> okay, so to bring it to your actual channel, <laughs> I'd love to talk a bit about your last video, mm-hmm. um, which like I said, was on the weird world of theater bootlegs, which was something yes. I did not really know about until I, I knew it existed and I knew people made bootlegs and I'd seen about one and a half of them. Like I've seen show? the Hamilton one. If I'm of Hamil- yeah. Hamilton. Of course. Yeah, which, you know, duh. And then I, I found half of In the Heights with uh, Lynn Manuel's understudy uh, in the role. And mm. that was that was a weird experience. Like you kind but, of expect so how- to see, yeah. Yeah, right. The, the guy who wrote it. But I, so I'd love to know how long have you been aware of this? you know, niche subculture. Well, I think the first time I ever watched a bootleg, I was maybe 12. I had just seen mm-hmm. uh, Wicked on Broadway and it like absolutely blew my mind, changed my life. So I went home and I was like, oh my God, I wish I could see this again. So I go to my little YouTube <laughs> bar and I search Wicked and there's this like horrible, like terrible quality, like <laughs> video camera recording of it. And I just like stay up all night watching it. And that was my <laughs> first kind of discovery into bootlegs. And then I found out that bootleg trading was a thing maybe yeah. a year ago because there was this one bootleg that I was looking really hard to find. It was a specific recording of, I believe, Next to Normal. And so I was Googling it and I couldn't find it on YouTube. And then I found somebody online who was offering to trade it for other shows. And then I went down this just total rabbit hole of this really niche part of a really niche community. Yeah. I, I To me, it was, it, it, was, it was sort of like the dorkiest corner of the dark web, you know? <laughs> the dork web, uh, uh, yeah. The dork web, Damn it, that's perfect. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, like, the idea that these, you know, these shows are a form of currency to be traded, mm-hmm. but they're also the product that people are looking for. Yes, it's, it's so interesting. Fascinating. D- definitely, like, what yeah. A biz- 
what a bizarre barter economy. Yeah, exactly. Because I feel like um, it's kind of a community that's ostensibly developed to resist some of the damages of late capitalism, right? Because it's like mm-hmm. kind of a form of resistance to Broadway's elitism and financial accessibility. And then, of course, there are a variety of other reasons you might not be able to see a Broadway show. Like uh, I read once, I think it was on Reddit, somebody wanted to see a Book of Mormon bootleg because they couldn't be physically present in a theater that simulated gunshot noises. But they like still wanted oh, wow. to experience the show because that guy gets shot in the face in it. But then it's like with this trading stuff, like kind of toxic capitalism kind of worming its way into the community nevertheless, because the trading community, Mm -hmm. of course, actively relies on these shows being inaccessible in order to sustain themselves. It's so cool. Sad, but cool. Yes, that's it. It's it's That's everything under capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Sort of one of the points I really liked about your video was that, you know, when you do go to see a show, so much of the time it's the producers who are coming away with, you know, the massive amounts of money compared to necessarily who wrote and performed. Oh, exactly. Like these bootlegs are not primarily damaging like the actors or the writers so much as these extremely wealthy theater producers, which is part of one of the reasons I think it's not very unethical to uh, bootleg a show. (laughs) And it's funny funny you mentioned that because that's that's also something I wanted to ask about. Which is what I really like in your videos is I think you're really good at presenting both sides of the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that you know you, you take into account different opinions and present them. And even though you present your own opinion, which you know in this case is that bootlegs aren't that damaging, you mm-hmm. did go to the point of you know presenting why people think they are. Yeah. And so I wanted to know is that is that like something that comes naturally to you, or do you do you have a struggle with trying to represent both sides? Um, I have in the past, but uh, in my first year of university, I joined uh, the debate society at my school. Uh, yeah. And like when you, I feel like when you watch a lot of YouTube like debates online, it's a lot of people kind <laughs> of misrepresenting each other. And so that yeah. was like, you know, finding the weakest possible version of their argument to target. And so even though I had done debate in the past, that was kind of my perception. But as I started going to tournaments, you find that strawmanning your opponent actually very much loses you points. So you really, uh, it made me work really hard to try to find the strongest possible version of my opponent's arguments. Because, you know, somebody who doesn't know anything about bootlegs coming into my video might be able to like be convinced to kind of agree with my side without being presented mm. with the opposing side. But what if somebody comes in with a preconception that's different than mine i want to acknowledge and honor the fact that they might feel a different way while still making my own case as strongly as possible yeah and especially with the bootleg thing how, you, how you're talking about how it can be distracting to yeah. actors Which and is, that that yeah. that that to me was like the most you know convincing point of like how these things can be destructive mm-hmm. um it you know it's it's like the 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 old thing of uh uh watching a phenomenon changes it. And I think that, you know, this is a perfect example of that. Recording a live performance will change how they interact with them. Oh, definitely. Like, uh, actors are very aware of their audience when they're performing. Even though the lights are low, you can definitely kind of get a vibe from your audience for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember, like, just doing one or two school performances, Mm -hmm. like, finding my parents in the crowd. And I'm like, okay, well, that's my mark right there. Oh, totally. (laughs) It changes how you perform and it changes, thus, the experience of everyone in the room. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So another another thing I'd love to know about this video, how long did you have this idea kicking around? Like, how long did it gestate for? And yeah, you know, did you, how much, did you have to do much extra research or was this being a community you're already so aware of, was it? just as simple as writing down your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Well, I always found bootlegs kind of interesting as a subculture as soon as I learned about the trading community. So I had the idea before I actually started putting it into action for maybe a month that I wanted to talk about bootlegs, but I had other videos. I wanted to get them out first. And then I did know a lot of kind of about the community beforehand, but I still wanted to make sure I knew as much as possible. So it was a lot of like going through like trader specific tags on Tumblr and Reddit and other communities and like reading their thoughts and, you know, finding trader blogs and how much are they charging for these shows, uh, watching different bootlegs, which I like to pretend was research, but really I just had fun watching (laughs) the bootlegs. Um, So that probably took took um a few days to do just like yeah. the research portion of it <laughs> I, I do love the idea of you just watching the same i don't know book of mormon bootleg you've seen <laughs> 10 times this is <laughs> like a very serious myths. academic research <laughs> <laughs> i'd oh, love totally. to know how, how would you how would you cite a bootleg <laughs> that is a great 
great question. Like, do you have the name of the bootlegger? What if that's not yeah. available? Uh, do you want to do APA or MLA or God forbid Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have mentioned, uh, you know, your university debating stuff in your Q&As before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd love to know, have you ever been on a debate which you, you've, you've uh, steadfastly opposed the side you're on? You know, yes. Like you've had to... Oh, all the time. That's very common. Yeah. I actually find it easier in a kind of a formal debate setting to argue for something that I don't agree with because I find when it's something I already agree with, I tend to kind of make logical leaps and assume that certain things are obvious because like they're just right, right. aren't they? Like, um, yeah. I was in one debate about um, opposing like kind of corporate feminism and I think I made a lot of points in that round where I was sort of kind of taking certain things for granted because I'd participated in these arguments online so many times, I'd heard them so many times, whereas when it's something you disagree with, I find that you have to kind of methodically go through each step of logic more. Like, um, yeah. I was in one round, and uh, so one of the things uh, about the style of debate that you do in the second semester in Canada is that the team who is, like, opening the debate gets to decide the topic instead of it being a third party. And so uh, oh. judges also have to take into consideration, like, whether the topic is fair, like, whether there are fair arguments on both sides, as opposed to just, right. like, this house opposes genocide, which you, you can't make <laughs> someone argue for genocide. Like, you can't do that. So it was, um, no. this house would... Uh, um, in-state um, mandatory vaccination for um, um, elementary school students. And I, of course I agree with that, but I had to yeah. be like, no, we can't do this. This is terrible. <laughs> and I had to go through all of the reasons in my head. I felt a little icky after <sighs> that, but it gave me kind of material for if I'm arguing with these people, this is how they think and this is what I can say in that situation. Yeah, I th- that's really interesting. Cause I think when you're involved in a certain discourse, you do start to assume a certain level of knowledge. You know, mm-hmm. you assume everyone's already had, they've already had the entry argument. Exactly. Um, and then if someone comes in and just completely undermines you, you're lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, like it, it is interesting how you compare this sort of formal debate to these online mm-hmm. debates. Because that, that's something that's popped up recently is, is people pointing out, is there any worth to debating like alt-right or yeah. you know, full-blown fascist figures mm-hmm. i mean i mean do you have a, a an opinion on that um i think it definitely kind of depends on a lot of factors it depends on is this a public conversation is this a private conversation who's controlling the conversation so like for example there's there was that I was going to say recent, it's not that recent anymore, video by a guy called Caleb who was talking about how he fell into the outright, the alt-right, and what oh, brought yeah. him back from it was watching this stream uh, where a streaming guy called Destiny debated a white nationalist and just made her look completely ridiculous. And I do think that mm. these debates, if they are valuable, tend not to be valuable to the person you're debating so much as to an outside audience. Um, because a lot of times these people are acting in completely bad faith. You can cite as many Mm. statistics as you want. You're not going to change their mind because they're never coming in with the intention of having their minds changed. They just want to verbally humiliate you. But like, if you're a stranger who might be reading this conversation, those are the people who are more likely, I think, to be convinced. I don't think that kind of alt-right people basically ever are debating in good faith. And I think good faith is something yeah. really important in any kind of debate context in order to reach any kind of mutual understanding. Because if you know somebody's just going to come in and try to undermine all of your points, they're never going to be convinced of anything you say, no matter how you say it. They're just going to misrepresent you as much as possible. They're controlling the conversation. They're going to edit you to make you look silly. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, there was that Infowars, right? With that girl who was being asked about Venezuela and she was just like yeah. not having it, right? <laughs> because yeah. if she had <laughs> decided to engage in a serious debate with those people, they they can edit that video they can make her look as ridiculous as possible and i don't think that is something kind of worth entertaining i think if you're going to have a debate with those people it needs to be for the benefit of other onlookers and even then only under very specific circumstances i really want to rewatch that video now oh Um, i love it (laughs) it's so good heard of it it's the lady in like the sailor anime costume right yeah the best (laughs) you people like have worms in your brains (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah but like and, and that, that's interesting because that it, it reminds me of like the, the presidential debates in 2016 those are those don't feel like debates more than just people uh grandstanding mm-hmm. on their own perspectives and Completely. trying to attack people and yeah it 
Well, there's no I, I, actual engagement the with each other's that. videos. They're just both answering the same question and trying as hard as possible to sidestep what the other person said, I find. Yeah. Yeah, and you're just trying to land the, you know, the verbal the punch. The zinger. <laughs> the one that's going to yes! be quote tweeted on everyone's timelines for the next six hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, to be fair, that's that's all I'm after all the time that's... anyway. <laughs> I need those. I need that engagement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but speaking of, like, alt-right adjacent people. Oh, dear. How weird was it oh my God. when PewDiePie... <laughs> recommended your channel in a video (laughs) so fucking weird i was in a cafe (laughs) i was finished class i'm sitting there drinking my london fog i get a tweet someone's like hey pewdiepie just recommended you i'm like haha very funny okay (laughs) great joke Uh, i like the tweet i'm like lol i get another tweet pewdiepie (laughs) just recommended you i'm like okay is this a meme what's going on (laughs) then somebody tweets me the link of the video with the timestamp, and i'm just sitting here (laughs) staring at it like slack (laughs) jaw What just that, happened? That does sound like it could have been a prank. Like, Big yeah. Joel was yeah. streaming or something, and he's like, hey, what if we make Sarah think PewDiePie <laughs> recommended her? That's, That'd that be great. That is definitely something he would do, right? So, like, that could have been it. Much more likely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, this is a new meme or something. PewDiePie promoted yeah. leftubers. <laughs> so, I mean, d- did you see uh, any difference, like, I don't know, in comments or engagement with your channel um, after that? Yeah, like, I was a little bit worried of that at first, that, like, my comments were just going to be, like, chuds. Yeah. Like, but I found it wasn't so much the case because, like, of course I'm completely opposed to PewDiePie's beliefs and actions, but I also (laughs) think, like, because of my debate background, one thing I hope I'm able to do is explain my views succinctly and persuasively. So I kind (laughs) of decided to view that promotion as an opportunity to explain my ideas to a new audience of people who, like, might not have heard them before or might not have been sympathetic to them. And so I hope I was able to do that, and I hope that's the reason my comments haven't really grown super shittier since then. Yes. It is just insane. I, I think I, I remember I remember seeing someone sort of theorize because this was just after you put out your JK Rowling video mm-hmm. and she had, you know, tweeted against him at some point. Yes. Someone theorized that maybe that was why he promoted your channel a bit like I'm pretty sure that's why too, because uh he put up like little screenshots of a video of each person he was promoting, and for me mine was uh-huh. the JK Rowling video. So I don't think uh, PewDiePie yeah. is like somebody who is actively <laughs> watching my videos on the regular. I imagine <laughs> yeah. he just saw that one and was like, I'm making a video where I'm promoting a bunch of creators, I'll promote this person. Because she yeah, criticizes J.K. Rowling, has... and I don't like her either. I, I don't know, maybe <laughs> don't he watches he... them, but that's my assumption. <laughs> you don't think he has an alt account in, like, in your all your comments? Just like, yes, slay. <laughs> <laughs> he's, not, he's not secretly in the Discord. Like... <laughs> oh my god, now I need to, like, check everybody in the Discord and make sure they're not secretly <laughs> PewDiePie. <laughs> yeah. I would love to see, like, one of those testimonies of, um... I was alt-right until I saw Sarah's J.K. Rowling authorial <laughs> intent, even though that's not even that political of a video. Yeah, can you imagine? They were just like, they were so interested in like the talking about Anne Rice and that sort of thing that they just changed their entire political You never know. <laughs> so in preparation for this uh, podcast, I went back and I, I actually rewatched your very first piece of media criticism, which was your close reading of the first episode of the TV adaptation of Heathers. Uh, what's kind of incredible, it actually holds up as a really good video. You like, think? I think, I do! When a lot of people start, it's, you know, people are very unsure, they haven't found a specific voice yet, but I think your like, your criticism was very spot on, and, like, your camera presence and everything was really good. Thank uh, you. So what I'd love to know is, did you have any, uh, like, screen experience before that? Well, um... <laughs> So uh, not like really, I'd never done a video essay before, but when I was uh, quite a bit younger than I am now, I did have an atheist YouTube channel where I complained about religion and stuff. Uh, It Uh did not last very long. It had like, I don't know, 2000 subscribers at its peak or something like that. And it was like a very short lived uh, thing, but I did get promoted on like Pathios or something once. So that happened. And then my parents were like, don't do that. And so I deleted my channel. Good parents. (laughs) Very good parenting. Yeah, I was so mad at the time, but in retrospect. 
Yeah, they might have stopped you from falling down like an amazing atheist-esque rabbit oh, hole. Oh, I watched that guy quite often. I was yeah. like watching all of them, like Christina Rad and like the Amazing Atheist and Thunderfoot. This yeah. was like before Gamergate, so like they hadn't gone full shithead yet, but like yeah, yeah, it could have gone when, in like, that direction. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing! I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, that was well, I just thing. I'm gonna speak for everyone. And just say I'm glad you switched to like media criticism. Thank you. <laughs> oh my god. That's <laughs> <Yeah>, choices. <laughs> <laughs> have you um have you managed to track down the rest of the Heather's show yet? Have you have you submitted yourself to that? I did. I did end up watching the season. It was uh interesting. I, I mean I don't feel <laughs> like I have enough to say about it to make a whole nother video on it, plus another video yeah. essayist who I also like, uh, my friend Grandpa Glasses might be doing one at some point, so I'll oh, cool. I'll leave that to him, but it was not yeah. very good. It's in your court, Grandpa. Yeah. Oh, that that sounded aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make a video, motherfucker. <laughs> I worry about coming off like that sometimes. Like every now and again, I'll notice, oh man, this person hasn't put out a new video for like six weeks and... and... Dance for me, YouTube man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so what, probably the biggest like visual quirk of your videos uh, recently is that you're always holding a mug. Yes, Where I'm holding a mug from? right now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Just um, for audio. I, yeah, well, I like drinking tea and uh, nice. I like it and I get thirsty when I make my videos because I just sit there <laughs> in front of hot lights and talk for a while. Yeah. So I like having the tea to drink. And I also feel like yeah. it's just kind of like, oh, I'm I'm giving my opinions. I'm spilling the tea. Yeah. Like, it kind of works, you know? <laughs> it makes for a casual atmosphere. I've it's got like, oh, yeah, I'm just so many comments out. of people thinking that I'm not actually drinking anything and I'm just holding the mug as a prop. Like, this is a full-blown conspiracy <laughs> theory in some of my... I literally poured it on my face in one of my videos and yes. people still think <laughs> that I drink from an empty mug. <laughs> well, that was also a prop. Like, that was... You made that in After Effects or That's something. Yeah, yeah, I just, like, CGI'd it in. <laughs> so another thing you've said in a Q&A video in the past is that you're at university at the moment. I don't know if that's still <laughs> the case. It is. But that you were you were studying international relations and you took a media studies class and you were so fascinated by it that you started uh, double majoring, right? Uh, yes, in sociology. Yeah. And Sociology, bio. okay. Ah, oh, it's so cool. I mean, I, so I was wondering, have you ever thought about bringing the sort of other side of your degree into your YouTube videos, like talking about politics or international relations, that sort of thing? Mm -hmm. I've been hesitant to do so in the past, mostly just because I think like mm -hmm. a lot of other people talk about it in a more succinct way. And I, I, this is what I feel most confident talking about. But, you know, I would never say never. Um, there's definitely a lot going on in the world right now. And I don't want to <sighs> proclaim to be an expert on any of it. I feel like it's easier to become <laughs> yeah. an expert on like niche internet communities. But like, <laughs> maybe one day. Oh, I'd love to know what the Broadway bootleg community thinks about like Syria. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a Hamilton bootleg. Tell me your thoughts on Palestine. Oh my God. <laughs> what? Which founding father would support Palestine? <laughs> Shittiest BuzzFeed quiz possible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> How would Thomas Jefferson feel about the Prussian Empire? Ha! Probably just Dude like... loved empires. Whatever the shittiest opinion on that is, I think he'd have it. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I would I would be kind of interested in it, especially from like a Canadian perspective, because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think so often so often the perspective of Canada in you know the, the in the rest of Western culture is like ah those friendly guys up there. It's lies. And then... It's lies and propaganda. <laughs> well, because yeah, then every now and then I just will see an article on like here's some horrific treatment of First Nation people. Mm -hmm. And not like, not from 200 years ago. Oh, it's ongoing. Like... It's horrible. It's absolutely yeah. terrible. And we definitely have this uh, kind of smugness because we're, of course, right adjacent to the U.S. So it's easy to be like, we're better right. than the States. Therefore, we have no problems we need to address. Like, okay, that is not true. <laughs> do not collect go. Do, well, do not pass. <laughs> Don't collect it either. <laughs> so uh, talk about another one of your videos and this was this is actually the first one of yours that i saw and i think it was an introduction for a lot of people was the late stage capitalism of fast food twitter mm -hmm. um and you did that i'm gonna bring it up now because it was actually sort of a while ago 
Yeah, I think um, it was in maybe September of last year. It was either September or October. Hey, fun fact. If I type in late stage capitalism, the third thing to come up is fast food, like an nice. autotype, and then it's yours. Um, yeah, about eight months ago. Mm-hmm. And since then... Oh my god. It feels like it's gotten way worse. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, yeah, just the explosion. And so I was wondering, do you have like a favorite instance of brand Twitter trying to be relatable? Oh my god. Uh, I think... Probably when Sunny D pretended to be suicidal on Twitter, what and then all of the that? other brands started to comfort them. <laughs> that was that was interesting. Yeah, it just yeah. That was my introduction to that company. Mm-hmm. By the way, I, I, mm-hmm. they're not they're not over here. Um, That's what people think, associate I I... them with. It's the suicidal drink company. <laughs> It's so bad. And, and then, yeah, like, you're right. Like, everyone's sort of just chiming in with... They're there. You know, Faceless uh, Corporation. I've been there, too. It, I, when I Whenever I exploit my, <laughs> my workers for tomatoes, I get extremely sad about it. I don't stop, but, like, I understand the sadness, you know? Yeah. And, and I think, was it, like, a cookie company was, like... We made you this sad cookie. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! And when uh, one of the uh, burger companies was like, "Not everyone's happy all the time. Have some sad meals." <laughs> yes, because That's we understand that say. you're depressed oh, under capitalism. The, that <laughs> was my favorite. It. Oh. it was Burger King's Burger King's unhappy meal. Good god! Which is both both on the one hand trying to capitalize on like yeah people are depressed and the other hand it's also a mcdonald's slam yeah because yeah. mcdonald's have happy meals and they're like Ooh, yas hey guys. Hunty throwing shade <laughs> <laughs> it's like it felt like the worst era of mad magazine of like what if we kill them unhappy meals literally yeah i'm hating and, it and- <laughs> oh no you're gonna justin timberlake sing alike and just get- <laughs> I'm hating They're going to copy this soon. <laughs> and the, worst, the worst part was it wasn't even, they weren't even available countrywide. They were available in like three or four cities <laughs> just in America. You can only do be depressed in th- Chicago. <laughs> Suck at Chicago. <laughs> mean. Um, but like, because yeah, it was just a Twitter phenomenon. You know, oh, it, yeah. it only existed. They weren't making a product except for these three cities in in select stores. The product was not the just... point. The tweet was the point. Yeah, and the tweet was the point, and then the reaction articles and the mm-hmm. videos about it. But we're still talking about them. We're still talking it's about true. them. Oh, they're so evil. I know. They, just, they need they need to be stopped. It's fucking insidious. <laughs> And like yeah. with the silence brand meme and everything that's kind of emerged from that as well. Yeah. It sticks in your mind. Like, cause of course people have started responding with the like silence brand meme with the laser eyes. And then you see companies yeah. make their own variation to like clap back at fans, like a chip brand yeah. and like silence blends and reference to other chips. I think a video game company did like <laughs> silence fan. One of them did like a clown on a computer, silence, the silence brand in the distance. And it's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're too self-aware. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this is how Skynet's going to be introduced. Oh, I'm so conflicted about the whole thing with, like, the responses. I'm like, jeez. Yeah. Because, like, on one hand, like, it totally exemplifies the problem where, like, people calling out fast food Twitter are perceived as, like, not in on the joke. Like, they're just, like, killjoys ruining a brand's harmless fun. Yeah. But, like, that's dangerous because criticizing it is not the same as going, well, actually, to someone, like, making <laughs> a I hate jokes. Joke. Yeah. Because, like, there's real harms to, like, our collective critical yeah. thinking skills and our ability to distance ourselves from ads when, like, ads and entertainment become functionally indistinguishable, right? Like, like when, the, when mm. Sunny D pretended to be depressed, that was not some, like, random teenager who happened to run the account and was sad one day tweeting. No. It was highly specialized marketing teams that go through multiple stages of approval who are actively working to make sure their brand is on your mind as much as possible right yeah but like on the other hand no go ahead i just imagine someone waking up in the morning like man i'm I'm just feeling depressed you know what i'm gonna get some some, (laughs) or it's like i'm I'm depressed i want some uh 
I could get some orange juice now. Oh that's, yeah, that's what I associate. Make my mood I, Hell, sunny. I don't know if it's juice. I think I, I think it's an orange drink. Like it's not actually juice. Yes, it's can't technically. It's like I don't even know if it can be considered orange. It's like tangy beverage or something. <laughs> but on the other hand, right? Like on a wider scale, the fact that stuff like Silence Brand is getting so popular and that companies have to like start making their own variations means that like these brands mm. are kind of engaging with us on our terms. Like it's kind of been yeah. brought out into the open that like these companies are completely unethical and they're trying as hard as possible to seem like friends in order to mask like their human rights abuses and I do think it's difficult to go back from that I think the fact that they've needed to address these responses because stuff like silence brand has gotten so popular is still a good mm. thing yeah it, it, it's it's the same thing it's like the silence brand and the the hello fellow youths a uh, bit from 30 rock I see that used a lot mm-hmm. um it, it sort of in response to that's usually in response to, like, the cringiest attempts. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. like, I do think it's good that, yeah, people, like like you're saying, people are I think sort of... Burger King tried to do one about the Drag Race finale, and it just made, like, no sense. <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing. They never quite land. They're always... It's there's, like, an uncanny off, valley. Yeah, yeah. Where... It's like, this is approximately just, you... a meme. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite a shitpost. It's not quite a meme. It's brand Twitter. Yep. It's brand Twitter, <laughs> trademark. <laughs> and one of the really interesting things about your video on it specifically was you went back to this early case of, was it Arby's on Tumblr? Or uh, Denny's. Is Denny's. Denny's, Although yeah. I feel like we yeah. should, I feel like I shouldn't be saying these brand names. I feel like this is making, <laughs> it was, insert fast food company here. <laughs> yeah, I, I can bleep them out. Like, that, that'd be a fun producer <laughs> It was, <laughs> um, but it was Denny's, but, yeah. Yeah, but it's like the history of that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Where was it? People just sort of kept making deliberate memes to try and force them off the platform, right? Yeah, or to like force them to address the meme because they were trying to get in on always like the hottest one. So calling one out that yeah. was like the I don't it was like John C. Miller, the CEO, is a capitalist running dog, and then it was uh, the next one was uh, <laughs> Denny's is racist, and no amount of dank memes can change that because they'd been recently hit with some lawsuits over racially discriminating against their employees, and I think uh-huh. they didn't even touch that one. <laughs> Yeah, I bet, because that could get brought up in court. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, it's it's all it's all fun and games oh, while yeah. we're on the internet, but mm-hmm. you get in front of a it's judge. It's just a prank, bro. <laughs> it's just oh, a million yes. dollar settlement, bro. <laughs> Famous defense. <laughs> um, another another thing I need to ask about that video: a couple of people in the comments were wondering if you were doing like a low key Wendy's cosplay. By yes. wearing pigtails and a strap shirt, was. was that the idea? Actually, so I'm horrible at so doing good. hair. Um, the I think the only time <laughs> I've ever done my hair for a video was the Doctor Horrible one, where I put half of it in a bun. So I went, I walked 25 minutes to uh, one of my friends' houses, and her roommate did my braids. I showed her a picture of Wendy. She did my braids. I walked home <laughs> another 25 minutes. The sun was starting to set, so I recorded super quickly. And then I did those final shots at the beginning of the video where someone's, like, sitting outside going, huh, Jimmy yeah. Seafood triggered the vegans. And, like, you can see in the distance <laughs> that it was, like, so close to the sun setting. It was very stressful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is commitment. That is production <laughs> values. <laughs> is everything. <laughs> This is something I've actually wanted to ask, like a big, no, a big, like a bigger level YouTuber. Does the term YouTuber annoy you at all? Um, like, do you, do you like, like, if someone says, "Oh, hey, here's YouTuber Sarah Z," is that, does that bring up anything in you? Um, not for me. I would like if somebody asked me what I did for a job, I would never be like, "I'm a YouTuber," because I feel like I, <laughs> I would associate me saying I'm a YouTuber with like I don't know, like Jake Paul, like Team Ten, yeah. like move to LA because you think you're gonna be famous and like live in a house where you all prank each other. But I understand, <laughs> like I know that that's not actually what it means. It just seems like kind of something that would be douchey to call yourself. But yeah. somebody else being like, "She's a YouTuber," I wouldn't be like. Because I feel like the self-identification of it is what's kind of, like, douchey. I don't know. Right. Because there are those connotations. And that's always what I sort of think about. Is that, yeah, like the Jake Paul, mm-hmm. uh, other annoying people brand. <laughs> the, the it's just a prank bro, guys. Yeah, basically. exactly. But that's good. Like, I'll, that's I'll, the uh... kind of person who'd be like, yeah, I'm an influencer. I'm a YouTuber. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, who was it? Someone on Twitter or Instagram 
was talking about the Met Gala. James like, Charles. A... Yeah, you're invited to the Met Gala. And... This is a oh. big step for influencer representation. Truly the most oppressed group. <laughs> when is Influencer Pride Month? Do you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the idea that, you know, Oh, a great big step for influencer culture, and it's like it's a, it's the freaking Met Gala. If, yeah. if that hasn't said you've yeah. you've already made it in like mainstream massive culture. Oh, exactly. Like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> Stick to hell with that guy. But so apart from your YouTube channel, one of the other things that you are online for is the D and D podcast yes. you're in, Trials and Trebuchets, <laughs> which is such a good pun name i cannot and take credit not... <laughs> well i was gonna ask because you do make a lot of puns in I the do, show but that one was ben that uh, ben came up uh, with it it was otherwise it was gonna originally be called the arcane gate and ben was like no and yeah <laughs> i yeah. was like yeah no you need yeah that it's you need because you need that like funny punchy name yeah, yeah I'm sorry exactly. luke if you're listening to this sorry, your luke. name wasn't that good but Trials and Trebuchets is good, even though you can't pronounce trebuchets sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so how did uh, how did the podcast come come about? Um, <laughs> ben messaged me on Facebook one day and said, Luke wants to start a D&D podcast. Are you interested? And I said, yes. So we started a group chat. And then like it was... Um, <clears throat> It was just the three of us, so we needed another person. So the first thing that we did Mm -hmm. was we, like, kind of tried to look around um, kind of campus and put out some calls. And so we did, like, a test kind of one-shot with one guy, but just wasn't really a perfect fit. And so Luke was like, oh, Mm -hmm. I know uh, Carla. Um, I'll just invite her. And then that worked. And then um, we were all hanging out. And we were like, we're in a D&D podcast. And then our friend Sam was like, cool, can I be in it? And Luke was like, right. yeah. <laughs> so now Sam's in it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, so I'm a bit behind. I'm actually only up to the episode where Sam does join. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. She's, a, um, she's a great character. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's so great. Because um, mm-hmm. um, one, one of the reasons I really do enjoy the show is it does just feel like, and this is what, what's best about all like RPG play podcasts, is when you're listening to it, you just sort of get to feel like the silent wheel in a group of friends. Mm-hmm. Like there's just such good interplay between everyone, and it it's it's just such a positive vibe. It's it's a really good show. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I like, to, like. I'm so. I think it's so cool that I get to play D and D with my friends, whom I love very much, and people get to listen yeah. to it. I just think that's so cool. It is. It really is. Can you just sort of for people who haven't who haven't uh, listened to it? Can you just take us through the premise? Yeah, uh, we are three students, soon to be four, who have recently arrived (laughs) at a mysterious magical school. Um, On our first day, we decide to kind of go off the rails and um, explore things that we maybe shouldn't be exploring. And we get a little bit closer to discovering some of the secrets of the school. We might save the world, Um, you know, and then there's like kind of the (laughs) plot of just like nice school stuff, you know. We We have our rivalries, we have our crushes, we have, you know friendship with people and it's just like it's a good story it's a good time it's a lot of fun to be in it's a lot of fun to listen to mysterious magical school good good friends um there's no trains (laughs) in that universe which makes me sad but other than that that was i really enjoyed that part where it's just arguing over like (laughs) if if trains exist but life jackets don't it makes no sense there's no reason that there would be life jackets but not trains i'm it floors me i don't understand it yeah this is always my issue with different fantasy worlds or especially with steampunk where (laughs) some technology is so advanced they figure that out and i'm like okay but then why couldn't you just figure out normal electricity guys (laughs) you've you you turned steam into an airship but you couldn't figure out ac dc currents but that's 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 neither here nor there. Um, but the, the best part about the show, to me, the, so the first thing you think when you hear magical school is, of course, Hogwarts, Harry Potter, Harry Potter that yep. kind of thing. But the the vibe of this show I get is more uh, like anime sort of, uh, yes, ad, like adventure anime. You know, I I, th- I do think it's very anime. I don't know how much of that is deliberate, but I do remember Luke once saying that he kind of watched some school anime and looked at kind of some yeah. of the main kind of tropes and the main things that happen and tried to think about how do I do these in a unique way. And so I think there's yeah. a lot of that, but I wouldn't like, you know, you don't have to be a weeb to enjoy it. <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> yeah, this, but yeah. it does kind of have an anime vibe, doesn't it? It does. And, and it's, it's, 
it, it, it's really refreshing and just like I said, the interaction's really good. Uh, my favorite character is of course Winslow, who is a yes. sweet boy who must who must be boy. protected yes. at all costs. <laughs> so sweet, so small. <laughs> yes, and, and he has a talking cat familiar, Mister Wiggles. Mister Wiggles, and I love it. Look, if you if you haven't listened to the show and you just heard the sentence "talking cat familiar, Mister Wiggles," and that didn't make you wanna listen. I don't right? know what I can do for you. <laughs> like, again, what I like about the show, and, and it sort of helped fill this uh, adventure zone um, D&D hole in my heart. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, this, in the next season of that, they've gone to play this different game, mm-hmm. which, I don't know, it's, it's fine. Because uh, <laughs> I, I, re- I, I, I do like Dungeons & Dragons like, uh, as a storytelling vehicle. I think, I think a lot of new RPGs do this thing where they make you join the characters and they make you say in the very first session, this is how I know this guy. And it's this. Whereas D and D when you have a good dungeon master, which you guys absolutely do, you get to build the story really organically. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what kind of happens here. Well, I think arriving at a new school is the perfect setting for that because you know, we don't yes. know each other yet. And so there's a lot to kind of discover there. There's a lot to both discover yeah. and create, which I've found really, really fun as a player. Yeah, and that's how that's how the first episode goes. It just it starts. You get about a minute of intro, and then it just goes. Mm-hmm. It's there's a mysterious noise down the hall. Do you want to investigate? Of course you do. Mm-hmm. And it's just yeah, it's, it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. Thank you so um, much. I'm really glad you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, like like I said, I think everyone should check it out. Okay, so that's basically the end of uh, what I had planned. Uh, but can you just tell me, do you have anything else in the pipeline for us? Yes, I'm working on my next video, which should be out in a couple of weeks. Um, the working title for it is Gay Fan Fiction. So <laughs> that's yes. going to be exciting. I'm, I wanted Hell to yeah. do kind of something in honor of Pride Month. Um, so I'm going to be oh, looking cool. at like, why do people write it? What's people's inclination to look at stories that don't have kind of gay characters um, as traditionally a part of their setting and find that there. Uh, so that's what I'm going to be exploring, I think, in my next video. Ah, very cool. Because I think fan fiction is actually such an interesting area mm-hmm. of, you know, of study and, and of talking oh, about. Oh, it absolutely um, is. Um, especially the borders of what we consider fan fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I've, I've, I actually just put, uh, bought a book yesterday by a British... Um, mystery writer P.D. James mm-hmm. and so she wrote this book in 2011 which was it, it's set in the Pride and Prejudice universe six years after the wedding and there's been a murder <gasps> and so Ooh. yeah I I, I, I just I, I, I legit I, I don't even know all the details of the book I just saw that and I'm like done um, oh hell yeah but oh, hell yeah. but because it's because Pride and Prejudice is out of copyright Mm-hmm. This is its own book. This isn't fan fiction. Right. But it absolutely is oh, fan sure. fiction. Or like uh, the BBC level. show Sherlock, is that fan fiction? Um, does it only count it's, as yeah. fan fiction when things are still public, uh, are not public domain anymore? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting. And I also think that there's sometimes kind of like a gendered connotation to what we consider fan fiction, uh, right? Yeah. Like, absolutely. fan fiction is a women thing. This is a man yeah. thing. This isn't fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> That's literature. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. This is transformative. I think, I think. I think that's what I think. J.K. Rowling gets hit a bit with that, uh, with uh, when people talking about her out of universe declarations, people calling those fan fiction, and mm. I think yeah, they are. I think they are. There's an argument to be made there, but that the same thing isn't said for male writers when they you know correct their works. After well, the Neil fact. Gaiman literally writes. He wrote a lot of fan fiction, but when you think of authors who yeah. write fan fiction, uh, for most people, his name like rarely comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, um, the one of the very best issues of his uh, his comic, uh, The Sandman, which don't get me started on because it's it's my favorite <laughs> comic of all time. Uh, the very best issue, which like it won like a special fantasy award, uh, it was Dream meeting William Shakespeare, and uh, agreeing to inspire Shakespeare to write all of his plays <laughs> so long as Shakespeare promised to write two plays about dreaming uh-huh. and so one of those became Midsummer Night's Dream of course. of course and so the entire issue is based around all the different gods coming together to watch the first ever performance of a Midsummer Night's Dream oh, as, so cool. uh, as the, the fairy kings and queens decide to leave the earth realm for good 
uh, and it's happening as a Midsummer Night's Dream unfolds. So it sort of gets to use that, you know, that very common trope of people using Shakespeare as a framing device. Of course. But this is done through fantasy and it absolutely borders on, it borders on fan fiction. It borders on self-insert. My OC meets William Shakespeare and uh, inspires all his shows. Do not steal. everything. (laughs) (laughs) If it was like a a woman writing that with a female character, I'm sure a lot of people would be like, that's a Mary Sue, Maury. Oh my God. We could, we could talk for about an hour just about the concept of Mary Sue. Oh my God. Yes. I, I just... And that's, that's actually your Twitter name, isn't it? It it's is. Mary yeah, Sue Ryan. Yeah. That's so good. You're, <laughs> you're taking it back. I'm reclaiming it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, especially, um, yeah, gay fan fiction especially, and, mm-hmm. and like, like with issues of representation, that's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, 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 this is just assuming, and oh, I, guess, I guess a question, because uh, you, you mentioned Sherlock. Mm-hmm. Are you going to talk about how people... You know, the, all the, the queer baiting and shows like that then gives birth. Yes, you know, that, to... that is one of the points I'm going to touch on. Well, Sherlock in particular, I'm of course going to talk about this in my video, but uh, sneak peek, there's this community. Yes. <laughs> niche internet communities, that's me. No, um, so there's this community <laughs> of Sherlock fans that got really, really big around the time uh, the fourth series was airing called uh, the John Locke Conspiracy. And this is people who were completely convinced that John and Sherlock were going to get together in the end. It was Endgame. Yeah. When um, <laughs> the final episode was leaked online um, and they did not get together, there was then this conspiracy because it was a low quality episode that was mm, bad that they had um, <laughs> they had filmed this entire episode as a fake and deliberately leaked it online so, oh. that, so as not to throw people off their tracks. It aired. That did not happen. Oh. And then people decided that the show um, that was going to air the next week in Sherlock's time slot, Apple Tree Yard, I think the letters were an anagram for, I don't know, something tangentially connected to Sherlock, was not real. It was not actually going to air. The real, actual fourth final episode was going to air instead. Um, They waited. They watched. That did not happen. And so uh, chaos ensued. So Sherlock in particular is so interesting with regards to like queer baiting and representation that they somehow managed to convince an entire community of people that this was going to happen. Oh, muffins. Oh, I know. It's, yeah. 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 (laughs) I just, I just want to, I just want to like rub all of their backs and just like, oh, come on guys. Yeah. It sucks. (laughs) Imagine that. Oh. I would have loved to have seen that happen for Game of Thrones, actually. <laughs> People, the whole like, watch, season was fake. Like, yeah, because instead they took it They took it in the other direction of like, this happened, it was crap, make it again. <laughs> yeah. Which, and that's, that's why fan fiction exists, oh, everyone. Exactly. Write, write your own. Mm-hmm. You can do that. Season 8, Flex it's allowed. Flex your muscles. Yeah, make that ship that you always imagined. God, what's a okay? Wait, wait. What's what's a funny? What's a funny Game of Thrones ship? Uh, I've never seen Game of Thrones. Night. Um, I, I don't know. Oh my god! Um, you escaped. It? I escaped it. It's incredible. <laughs> That's that is miraculous. I'm just gonna name two I, I, random characters and hope that they didn't actually get together it. in the show. Um, uh, <laughs> Sansa Stark and Jon Snow. Are they oh, rela- are they related? Wait, uh, it's Game of Thrones. Probably everyone's related. Well, okay, there are ten. Spoilers for Game of Thrones. I don't care. Seen it. You can spoil it. They are familiarly brother and sister in terms of like, oh, like half brother and half sister oh no. is what they thought they were, but then it's revealed that they're actually cousins. Second, second cousins. Oh, that's much better uh, then. I mean, that's basically fine in medieval. Whatever. Cool. <laughs> this, this. Oh my god, this is definitely the fifty-two minute mark for recording because we're just talking about cousins and <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so okay, so you had one other oh, thing you wanted yes, to talk about. Yes, I just want to let everybody know that um, I'm going to be at VidCon July tenth to thirteenth in Anaheim. Yeah. So if anybody wants to find me there, chat, I will be there. Do it. That's yeah. sick. Are you gonna go to Disneyland and or uh, World, whichever one? I've whichever it's one is a land. Closer? World's Florida. I've heard uh, from some other uh, people who are going that apparently on that Sunday it is like ridiculously busy because like the convention yeah. center is right there, and because uh, VidCon isn't on Sunday, that's when everybody who bought a VidCon ticket goes to Disney. So maybe yeah. I'll like find some time before then to go. 
I hope. Yeah. So yeah. I don't get caught in like the six hour lineups. Cause I was at, I was at Disneyland Tokyo once, uh, in, uh, the midsummer on a weekend. So I know how bad lineups can get. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't want to be fighting the entire crowd of, um, big YouTube fans. Oh my God. <laughs> to get into, that would, I just, I just feel like you'd be behind several dozen people talking about like who's their favorite streamer and that sort of thing and <laughs> that is that is that is untenable you deserve better thank you <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like uh so th- thank you so much for agreeing to come on uh this is this such a pleasure talking to you my pleasure really um my pleasure, and and yeah i think uh, hopefully this is a good good episode and people will you know keep keep wanting to, wanting to watch or something. yes please keep listening <laughs> to michael's podcast you guys there you go. I'm going to clip that and make that the intro. Perfect. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So again, uh, Sarah Zed. You can find her work on YouTube under Sarah Zed. She's on Twitter at Mary Sue Ryder. Mm-hmm. You can find Trials and Trebuchets on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And she's going to be at VidCon July 10 to 13. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm a great listener. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So check out all of her fantastic works there. And uh, so yes, again, <laughs> thank, you, thank so you so much for, for having me. I'll catch you later. Bye. All right. Bye. bye. Once again, a huge thank you to Sarah for coming on. She is exactly as much fun to talk to as you'd think. If you like this podcast and want more, make sure to follow us on Twitter at GettingThatPod. If you want more of my work, you can find my solo Twitter at HardcoreLime, or my own YouTube stuff also under the name HardcoreLime. Getting That Bread's theme song is Look Outside by Stinky, which you can find on the Not Responding EP, available both on SoundCloud and Spotify. If you want to help other people find the show, please rate and review if you're listening on Apple Pods, or like and leave a comment if you're on YouTube. Both of them really help out with the metrics a lot. There should be a new episode coming out in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening.